The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Welcome to the Women's Sanctuary, the podcast about tending the soul of women, sisterhood, and the rise of the sacred feminine. I'm your host, Arlia Hoffman. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Women's Sanctuary. Today we have a very special guest uh, who I just recently met, and she is a powerhouse. I'll call her a firebrand. Just this um, huge spirit in the world doing a number of things, doing social justice work and women's spiritual work and having um, a sanctuary in a temple space where she lives, which is how she and I connected. She saw my website online and reached out to me. So I, you know, when we started talking, like, okay, we need to talk, which I think I say in the in the show when we get started. And I had an incredible conversation that went on for quite a while. So this is going to be two episodes. And the first episode um, with Catherine the Grateful, she talks about her justice work which is called The Joyful Revolution, and the role that joy and sorrow play together in changing our world. And then she talks about the power of the kazoo, and you have to hear it to believe it. Then we start talking about her spiritual work, which it's really, it's all, it's all social justice, it's all activism, it is all the work of changing lives and ourselves and the world for the better. She talks about her living temple space in Charleston, South Carolina. And then in the second episode, uh, we'll get into um, her views on how our world is changing and her role in that and, and how we see that evolving. And so I hope you'll, 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 you'll be on your edge, edge of your seat like I was. Um, listening to her and experiencing her energy, even through the airwaves. I know you'll feel it. So enjoy this first episode and uh, be looking for the next episode to come out shortly. I won't make you wait too long, but enjoy this episode and I will talk to y'all again soon. And here we go. Welcome everyone. This is Arlia at the Women's Sanctuary. Oh, I'm very excited today to have Catherine the Grateful with me, which is a fantastic name. I just love that name. She and I met um, coincidentally, when there are no coincidences, um, through a mutual friend on Facebook and just instantly uh, 
realized we had a connection. And, and to Catherine's credit, she just reached out out of the blue and said, hey, <laughs> we should talk. So um, let me introduce her. Catherine the Grateful was born in Macon, Georgia and raised in Asheville by an artist and a psychologist. Um, I love this. When her mother said life isn't fair, Catherine responded, I'm here to make it fair. To which her mother replied with a grin, good luck with that. And from there, a journey of joyful justice work has unfolded. Oh, let's see. You were um, ordained as a minister of movement in 2018, trained as a clown, moved to New York, uh, worked on a documentary about Black Mountain College. And then from there began civic work, uh, went to the Institute of Integrative Nutrition, um, and as a passionate sacred activist and, uh, your previous nonprofit was enoughpie.org. Your current projects include joyfulrevolution.org, a movement for planet, people and pleasure inspired by the visionary work of Adrian Marie Brown, Octavia Butler and Tom Robbins. Catherine practices movement as medicine and as, and follows the vision of dancing through life. She has a movement studio, the sanctuary, perfect name at her home in Charleston, where she hosts small group dance and individual movement. Today, she co-directs A Living Temple, a non-denominational church that celebrates creation, where she leads regular dance and prayer offerings and serves as a celebrant. Welcome, Catherine. Thank you. Thank you. It's such a pleasure to be here. I'm so excited to have a conversation with you. Absolutely. (laughs) Tell me how you got the name Catherine the Grateful. Um. Yeah, so I, my mother, when I was um, in in the womb still, she went and uh, met us with a psychic. And the psychic told her that she would be having um, a royal child, a child mm-hmm. from a royal lineage. And, um, and my mother kind of sat with that and decided to name me after Catherine the Great. And so as a child, I'd heard the stories of, uh, you know, when I was born, that that was really what spoke to her as um, she felt an, an, an affiliation to Catherine the Great. And so I've always kind of grown up with that. Um, and I've always loved Russian, Russian literature, Dostoevsky, Tolstoy is yeah. born on my birthday and um, it felt very close to that um, side of the world. But as I got a little older, I sensed um, I sensed a, a bit of a transmutation, and so from mm-hmm. Catherine the Great, Catherine the Grateful was born. Uh, really recognizing that, and to to really be great, we must start with gratitude. Um, mm-hmm. Is really at the core of of anything, of everything. That's and so, so um, I adopted that name. Um, when I first went to Burning Man, I don't know if you're familiar with that mm-hmm. gathering out in the, the desert, but um, they at, at that gathering, which I went to for my arts organization to really see how these giant, beautiful art pieces were put together collectively with global participants, um, you, you often get a playa name. And um, Catherine the Grateful kind of became my playa name. And, um, and it's from that, I just really enjoyed, I, I felt, it felt more right to me than mm-hmm. my, um, than my, my legal name, uh, mm-hmm. which is Catherine Davis. So, uh, I started going by it and, uh, it, it, it often will elicit a chuckle or a curiosity. Um, but I really 
seek to, to cultivate an attitude of gratitude all the time. Mm-hmm. And yes. um, so I like that my name is has grateful in it. And I feel like um, uh, it is really helped guide my vision and my work mm-hmm. and my offering and my direction. And um, uh, so I'm definitely still very inspired by Catherine the Great. And um, but I, I I've certainly um, gone in a, a, a little bit of a different direction <laughs> with it. So that's that's my name. We we all have our personal transformations for sure. Evolution. Yeah. So uh, tell me kind of how your work evolved. And um, so now you're doing Joyful Revolution, which is um, well, describe Joyful Revolution and Living Temple or start with one because I know that's a lot. <laughs> and and let's talk about how you got where you are now. Sure, sure. Well, um, I think it, it does go back. A lot of this goes back to I was raised in a really amazing um, um, spiritual non-denominational tradition at in Asheville, North Carolina called the Jubilee Community Church. Mm-hmm. And our, our sign for God is, a, is a raised shoulder. It's, you know, it's the great mystery, the question mark, right? We just kind of mm-hmm. do the shrug of like, who knows? Uh, but we come together every week to celebrate creation, which is really at the core of, of, of this living temple that we're establishing now. Um, and at Jubilee, I actually trained and became a clown. And it was a huge, that was in my teenage years. And it was just a huge awareness to me of the power of joy, the mm-hmm. power of the unusual, the power of performance, mm-hmm. um, the power of vibrant colors and um, just how much we could go into hospice um, or the, the, the children's wing at the local hospital mm-hmm. and really change the energy, the sensation, um, and how incredibly, um, you know, smiles are, ca- they catch, right? They're catchy. And so one kid would laugh and then the nurses would laugh. And then, you know, it just was, it just was so um, pivotal to me. Mm-hmm. Fast forward, you know, I went to, went to University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, I got a degree, moved to New York, got a real job, moved up the ladder, um, and doing all that. The, I'm sorry. To doing all the things we should doing do. All the things, checking off all the boxes that we're uh, taught is uh, the way to the way to um, be a good human being mm-hmm. um, on this planet, which uh, I think definitely has shifted <laughs> over time. Mm-hmm. But um, during that time, I, I kind of put compartmentalized that part of my life really, um, and had a. a, a, a a vibrant experience in New York and um, made a documentary film that I conceived and um, created about Black Mountain College, which was this radical experiment in arts and community that existed from 1933 to 1957. And during that time, the American avant-garde was birthed. And I really got got to delve deep in how powerful it is for people to come together in community and create something. Um, and how and what that could be and how that could actually have ripples uh, for generations. Mm-hmm. And so um, the Joyful Revolution came about. I, I've always been an activist. I've always volunteered with political campaigns. Uh, I'm part of the Poor People's Campaign currently. Um, I've always been someone who feels that 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 justice is a core value mm-hmm. of being alive and sharing this beautiful planet as we do. Mm-hmm. And so to live uh, with kind of blinders on to what's really happening in the world is 
um, an abomination. It's not, it's not in alignment with, uh, with who and how we are um, meant to be on this earth and on this planet. So the joyful revolution came about on an election day here in Charleston several years ago. I got up and I was like, there's gotta be more I can do than hold a placard of someone's campaign in front of the polling site all day. There's gotta be something else. And I, um, I had recently gotten obsessed with kazoos and, um, that's, it seems kind of crazy, but the kazoo, um, is a really cool instrument. It was actually invented in 1840 by an enslaved African named Alabama Vest in Macon, Georgia, which is also actually my birthplace. And he invented it. It's based on the Merlitan, which is a West African instrument that the shamans use to call the ancestors. Oh, so the kazoo is actually based on a spiritual sacred instrument. And it premiered in 1852 at the Georgia State Fair. Uh, he worked with a German clockmaker to fabricate. Um, but ironically, it was patented in 1911 by a white man. So mm-hmm. it's interesting how the actual history uh, of who brought this instrument and who crafted it in America came about. But um, And that's something that I've spent a, a good deal of time kind of bringing that history into the light because it's important that we honor the ancestors and honor yes. truth and bring that truth to light. Mm-hmm. Um, but I woke up on this election day and I saw my kazoo <laughs> and I was like, huh, I'm going to take my kazoo to the pole and I'm going to kazoo this land is your land. This land is my land. Love it. And so uh, I, I, my, my clown teacher actually, uh, who is in her eighties now, um, she uh, had given me this beautiful kind of heart outfit that she had had created for one of her clowning gigs. So I put on this heart outfit and I went out to the polls and I stood out there with this giant heart and I kazooed. This is brilliant. Over it's brilliant. And, over and, over. and the idea was that I was just curious, like, what would it be like to vote with a smile on our face, mm-hmm. to vote with a, a, a skip in our step, um, you know, to have a to have a to have a kind of unusual scenario. And, and it was really powerful and fascinating. And people came and they danced with me and they sang with me and they really got involved. And I was like, wow, this is powerful. This little kazoo that's under a dollar, um, you know, that anyone can play can create this kind of vibration. And so um, the Joyful Revolution was really formed in that day of just like, wow, can we can we bring more pleasure to civic engagement? Um, and as I mentioned earlier, you know, the the 10 the the Burning Man has 10 principles that are really powerful. And one of them is civic engagement. Everyone participates in how a community is formed. Um, and so with that, it really became a, 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 a thing. And the Joyful Revolution was born inspired by um, acts that have been taken globally to transform um, communities through taking acts, creative acts of liberation. So for example, in 1989 in Estonia, they had what was called the singing revolution. Mm-hmm. And that was when 
over a million people joined hands across Estonia and sang the Estonian national anthem, which at that time was illegal because they were part of the Soviet Union and they were, you know, like Latvia and um, Lithuania and, and Estonia, they were all kind of under um, the, the iron fist. And so they came together and how it started, I have a friend who's Estonian and she was there. And she said, you know, about 10 people came out and started singing the national anthem one night. And then the next night there were 50 people. And the next night there were a hundred. And the next night there were a thousand. And all of a sudden it became this thing that everyone in Estonia decided to sing the, the Nash, the original, the, 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 um, the Estonian national anthem. And while they did that, their politicians went in and used that huge outpouring of that community to to literally get their sovereignty back. And that was how the revolution happened. It was not violent. It was led in song. And as I started to look at that more closely, I saw that there are examples of this across the world. Mm -hmm. Poland's Velvet Revolution. I just heard today about the dance uh, revolution in, 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 in France in the late 15th century. Like there've just been all these unique and um, experiences of people coming together for justice in ways that aren't violent. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that that's very uh, apropos now to this rise of the divine feminine. This kind of creative energy is very feminine. And it that's what I really found with the Joyful Revolution. So I, I, I made friends with the owner of the Kazoo factory, which is actually based in Beaufort, South Carolina. And there's a kazoo museum there, which is very cool. I've had a lot of good times there. And um, I made friends with him. He's on the city council. He's actually running for mayor now. Uh, so he's civically engaged and a kazoo enthusiast. And I got 5,000 kazoos and I hit the open road and I went around and met lots of people and kazooed this land in the Azir land. This land is my land with thousands of people. Um, and when I gift people a kazoo, I don't just give it to them. I actually knight them into the joyful revolution. So I, I touch the kazoo on each side of their, of their shoulders. And I, and I say, um, you are officially knighted in the joyful revolution as a drum major for justice in the words of Martin Luther King Jr. That's as exactly a drum like major for righteousness. great would do. <laughs> <laughs> as a drum major for righteousness, as a drum major for truth. And what was so amazing is people would go, they would fall to the ground. They would, mm. they would hit their knees and they would, many people cried and they were like, I realize that this people have not had these rituals of, um, you know, being asked to really step up and be part of this incredible country and this incredible society that we're living in. Like people had never felt that sense of I, I matter and my vote matters and my voice matters and my kazoo matters, you know, like my, my, my way of showing up matters. And it was really an eye opening journey for me. Um, of, uh, and I've still, I still do it. I, I mean, I'm night, I night people all the time. Um, I keep kazoos with me at all times and they have little holes on them so people can put them in their, on their keychain. So they always have a kazoo. And one of the things I love about the kazoo, and I don't mean to go so far in the kazoo, but it's such an amazing instrument is that it drowns out hate speech. So I, the reason we keep it on our keychains is there've been so many times in the last few years that people I've seen quote unquote ministers on the streets preaching about 
how horrible, what a horrible sin homosexuality is. That happens a lot during uh, our days of Charleston pride Mm -hmm. and they'll be out there and a kazoo can silence a human voice. So, well, you know, I think I was kazooing, you know, celebrate good times. Come on over the sound of this man saying horrific things, judgmental Mm -hmm. things, things that weren't based in love, weren't Mm -hmm. based in light and weren't based in truth. And so with one kazoo, you can silence the voice of um, people who are are spouting out things that that Mm -hmm. are related to love. And, uh, you know, maybe they'll get their own kazoo, but I'd rather hear them kazooing than, 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 than saying words of hatred and divisiveness. So um, I found the kazoo to be an incredible tool. tool for, um, celebrating creation and for, um, and for, and we, we often hold them up and say vibration for liberation, but, mm-hmm. but it. literally that, that, that sound, that scent, that change of vibration, um, can really change a mood of a rally of a gathering. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's, it's something that I, I've, I've really enjoyed doing. And so the, the joyful revolution, our hope was that it would really, take off. And it certainly has resonated with, with many people. And I think that it's inspired a lot of people to do, um, different, different works and different creative acts of, um, of, 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 of revolution of evolution, Mm -hmm. uh, which is what I think we're being really called to do today. And, you know, what they did in in Puerto Rico at eight o'clock, they went out every night when they wanted the governor to step down and they clanged on pots and pans. Mm -hmm. You know, we have tools at our disposal in our kitchens, in our, uh, in our makeup bags, you know, like the women that wear all red and, and, and do this beautiful protest uh, Mm -hmm. in all red. There are just ways to be impactful uh, and to share what is, what is our, our grief, our, our grief we're feeling and where our country is today. Yeah. And as you're speaking, I'm thinking of, I don't know about other countries, but we as Americans, we've lost touch with our, the sovereignty we have to be so creative in standing up for what's important to us. You know, it's, it's like, it's revolutionary to tell people to play a kazoo, like, or just to, to stand up and use what you have to create the change you want to see. And that's, um, I think we've just been lulled into our complacency and, and it's, Maybe not anymore, but we had. Well, that's why we need kazoos and pots and pans. You know, we need to make a joyful noise. We, we need to hear that. And, and, and the flip side to making a joyful noise is raising our voices in weeping and in sorrow. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, the founder, well, of course, the original founder of the poor people's campaign was Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And he was murdered um, with that campaign, which was uniting poor white and black people to come together and say no more. Mm-hmm. And that was extremely dangerous because it was yeah. really saying to folks, no, 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 we're not going to separate based on men and women and black and white. Like, this is economics that is dividing. And so um, the, the, the person who's really brought this poor people's campaign back into the light is the Reverend Dr. Uh, William Barber, who's based in North Carolina, he started Moral Mondays there. And when he does, he he preached about from the Bible. You know, they there's a there's this part of the Bible of it's all about taking your sadness and your sorrow to the streets, mm. filling the streets, shutting down businesses, shutting down schools and churches, 
and taking our wailing and our weeping mm-hmm. to the streets yes. and just taking this sorrow because I have a huge amount of joy, but I also have a huge amount of sorrow, mm-hmm. so much sorrow of what we've done to our earth, to one another, to ourselves. Um, you know, we talk about loving our neighbors as ourselves and it's like, we don't love ourselves. So how can we truly love our neighbors? Like there's just been such a, a gross neglect of the human spirit and celebrating the spirit together and supporting one another. So, um, you know, I, 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 the joyful revolution is joyful, but that joy is based in sorrow because they are two sides of the same coin. Yes. Um, and so I've also had visions of wailing walls and weeping, you know, you know, weeping, um, parades. And, um, I'm actually on the advisory committee here in Charleston for the million women's March that's being planned for September. And of course, we're not allowed to gather with more than 250 people. So we're imagining how this might look and how this mm-hmm. might unfold creatively without being able to get large people together. And mm-hmm. I can't stop thinking about the the weeping and the wailing and, and the women, the grandmothers, the crone wisdom and the, the mothers and the children who are inheriting what we're doing yeah. today. Like, there's, we could, we can, and, and I hope that we do take our grief to the streets because it's palpable and it's powerful. Yeah. And it it's reminds real. Me, reminds me of professional mourners who yeah. show up to mourn for yeah. those who can't. Yeah. Well, and such an interesting thing to think about now too, when funerals and the ways in which we're grieving the loss of our loved ones is, is shifting during this time of COVID. Um, you know, it's, it's such a, the world is changing and, um, and, and the way in which we engage is changing. And I'm, no, I don't, I don't have the answers, but I I have a lot of questions and I, uh, I'm committed to staying awake Mm. because really what this is about, you know, and the name of my documentary film actually about Black Mountain College was called Fully Awake, is Mm. called Fully Awake. And that concept um, is something that I've been chasing all my life of, how do we live awake, fully awake in a world that is asking us, in a system that is asking us to stay asleep, mm-hmm. buy more products, um, you know, d- g- celebrate the sacred for one hour on Sundays? You know, like the sacred is every minute of every day. Yeah. And and now they, they can't even do that. They have to do it on Facebook. Right, right. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Which has been an interesting time because it also means that I can go to church with one of my favorite priestesses in California, mm-hmm. which I can't normally do. Uh, you know, so I'm able to celebrate and be in the sacred with, with mm-hmm. I have a sisterhood with, you know, I lead dance practice uh, with the new and full moon. And before I was leading it here in my home studio and about, you know, with about 10 women, which was about what we can fit comfortably. Now I'm leading dance and I've, you know, the women are in Bali and in Brazil and in France and in Portugal and in Austin and in Somerville and in Atlanta and all over. And so I'm like, well, you know, there are these other aspects of these tools that we're learning about through COVID um, that are exciting. And I feel connected to a global tribe now in a way that I haven't in a long, long time. And so I'm grateful for it. I'm grateful for this opportunity to be on this 
this this interview with you using our computers and our technology and um, and having found you through Facebook, which is a, a tool that I often disparage, uh, you know, and don't like to waste my time on. And yet it connects us to, um, to a sisterhood and to a, to a global, um, tribe that is very, very inspiring and engaging. So it's like any tool, it can be used, uh, in, in hurtful ways. It can be used in destructive ways, but it can also be used in really empowering ways. Yes. Yes. We've seen it. We've seen its power swing both ways. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to talk about um, the living temple. And then I want to talk about how you see our society shifting and what that might mean for the sacred feminine. Mm. Well, the living temple is um, really came about. I've been I've been a minister for s- several years now and um have been on a sacred path for decades um studying in a lot of different wisdom traditions um uh Reverend Dr. Matthew Fox who is the founder of Creation Spirituality is a very important um person um that uh, that 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 tradition has been very important and so that tradition really roots in um in celebrating creation and celebrating earth and really rooting into Pachamama and the wisdom of our earth. And, you know, in our darkest times, remembering, remembering to, to, to see the, the rising sun, remembering to listen to the birds, to sit by the moving water, to refill our cups. Nature is an incredible um, reminder of the, of the, of the magnitude of being alive mm-hmm. on this earth at this time. And so a living temple really came about with this reverence to earth, to Gaia, to Pachamama, and, um, and really recognizing during, during COVID, during the lockdown, um, I live in a home with, with a, it's a community and I, there were four, five people living here have a, a nice uh, size space. Uh, we had someone living in, in a tiny house in the backyard, two people living in a tiny house in the backyard and a wonderful woman who is a scientist, biologist and spiritualist living in her RV that was plugged in. So really had a community. And I was curious, I wanted to live in community and explore that. During COVID, I felt this great desire to be at Nutkin Abbey which is a place um, in the Low Country. It's a Trappist monastery uh, with monks, uh, mainly elder, all men. Uh, and they have a retreat center. And it's a place that I've been going for many, many years for a silent retreat and to really reconnect with my soul, with my spirit, and with earth, with, with earth consciousness and with the divine feminine. And while I was kind of in this lockdown with this community of awesome folks, I I just kept feeling this desire to have a contemplative practice mm-hmm. and to have a, a, a Metkin Abbey vibe in my own home. And so uh, an, one, one of our, our, our inhabitants uh, relocated to Atlanta and um, we, we really decided to hone in and, and really create a, a living temple here modeled on um, Metkin Abbey's you know, and every temple that I've stayed at, my, the Zen temples I've stayed at in 
in Korea. Um, they all have a very early morning practice of celebration, of, of, of contemplative practice, of meditation, of prayers. In, in Korea, the Zen temples, it was, there was a body practice. Uh, um, and so, you know, uh, in terms of, of actually standing up and going down to the ground into, into a prostrate position and back up 108 times. And so, um, and that was at 4.20 in the morning, every morning. So wanted something like that here. And so had a kind of a shift of the community here. And so it, right now it's me and one other person, uh, the biologist, spiritualist, who is is staying in residence. And we're calling in another priestess now um, who will who will come. So there'll be three of us living on site. And then we have um, a group of, 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 of very spiritually awake uh, women who are really being called in to be part of this this temple with us, and they all have their own gifts: um, Reiki masters, crystal uh, experts, uh, astrologers. Uh, people really just interested and curious, and and, and willing to explore um, what is unseen, but that mm-hmm. is cl- still present and still a very much part of of daily life. As my minister always said, there is far more going on in the universe than we can possibly imagine. And I'm not interested in necessarily naming it mm-hmm. or ascribing to any doctrine per se. Uh, my doctrine is love and my doctrine is gratitude. Uh, and I, we really uh, honor an I am consciousness here. Mm-hmm. Really at the core of all is this I am awareness so the living temple is is being born as in this very moment. Uh, we are obviously we have this sanctuary in the house that is also a dance studio. At, there's movement. There's Reiki that happens there. Uh, but obviously during COVID, a lot of our stuff is happening virtually. We have a big space outside around a bonfire that we can sit people safely. So we have gatherings of sacred sisterhood circles in that space. Um, and then we also have a mystery school that we do on Monday nights where one of our priestesses who has been to Egypt over 30 times is taking us up the Nile mm. to go into the different temples uh, to learn about the gods and goddesses and then to go in and do a deep meditation um, with that energy. Of course, mm. the gods and goddesses and all the stories from all traditions, the Greeks, the Romans, um, the Egyptians, you know, these are archetypes and they're really powerful stories of connecting us to who we are and, um, and what we are, what we were put on this earth to do. I believe that we each have a divine purpose and our job is to get out of the way. And so a lot of that is just deconditioning ourselves from the system mm-hmm. that wants us to put, you know, fast food in our bodies and not to think of preparing food and eating good nourishing food as a, as a sacrament, mm-hmm. um, that wants us to divorce ourselves from our moon cycles and, you know, use, use unhealthy devices, uh, in a, the most intimate part of our bodies during a time when, you know, historically when women would go into a red tent and be present and really be present for that shedding of that blood, which mm-hmm. is a very sacred process. And, so um, I'm really interested in, in living this way myself. So first and foremost, I have to live it myself in my daily practice. And that's a, that is a practice in and of itself, right? Because the way society is structured is it's much easier to, 
to do that. But it's not easier because there's this this nagging sense in all of us that, that something's missing. Well, and it's, so a, we, yeah, it's a continual process of of shedding those layers of the society of which we've become so accustomed that we're unaware. So Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's just like but we know that something's wrong because you know so many of people in our society are medicated that are 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 not happy um are 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 actively considering i can't tell you how many people uh, recently in my my world have really been like suicide is the only option i mean there's there is a great pain a deep deep heartache and and i think it comes from not you know, the, these nine to fives, you know, one of my great guides is Buckminster Fuller. And he has a beautiful quote about, you know, this, this human drudgery that we're doing, these nine to fives that we're doing to quote unquote, be, 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 be good, good members of society. You know, we don't actually need to do that when we shouldn't have to do that. There's enough resources and there's enough ingenuity to support the whole of society. And you know that's possible because we see 1% of society own not over 90% of all wealth. Like there's plenty for everyone. There's not plenty for everyone's greed. Yeah. And now that a lot of nine to fives aren't and available, now that people are exactly. getting creative. And yeah. so um, I, I stepped out of my role as executive director of Enough Pie on July 1st. And I did that very intentionally. Mm. Um, and I wrote in my newsletter, I've been doing the job for almost six years, and it was really a, a perfect job for me in so many ways. It combined art and the creative force with activism and really bringing communities together joyfully um, to, to come together. And my um, the nonprofit serves the Upper Peninsula of Charleston. I don't live in the Upper Peninsula of Charleston. And there was a lot of pushback of, you know, the person who leads this organization should really be of this neighborhood and live in this neighborhood. And I, I, I heard that feedback and I, and I also think that it's important that, that, that we don't lead and become institutions. Oh, I'll be executive director until I die. That's not, that doesn't give other people opportunities to, to have their visions realized. And so um, there was a big call and, and there should still be. And I, I hope that this uprising that started around George Floyd's murder continues and grows. And I think it will around this election cycle time because uh, there's going to be a lot that comes mm -hmm. to light. But um, that that was a big call to empower other voices and make sure everyone has an opportunity that is that that could and should be leaders to be leaders. And so I stepped down yeah. um, and 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 as really as a stepping up to the call to make space for new leadership. And for neighbors to be able to step up and have that be a full-time job and to bring their visions to light. And while, you know, we always work collectively and we always worked with neighborhood groups, et cetera, like, um, I just recognize that I, I never want to be an institution. Um, and I want to make sure mm -hmm. that, that, um, and I appreciated a lot of powerful, potent other leaders held that light to me. So I want to just honor them and, and give gratitude um, to people like Adrian Mary Brown, who you mentioned, and 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 you know my bio, her book Emergent Strategy, and her second book Pleasure Activism, is some of the most important um, important guides of my life. And the reason, you know, Adrian says, 
To truly transform society, we must make justice the most pleasurable act we take. And so much of justice work is just this pounding of like, got to get this done, got to do this, got to do this. It's like, no, no, no. We need to break bread together. We need to share meals together. We need to open up a meeting with a prayer or with a song. You know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm happy to pledge allegiance, I, but my pledge of allegiance for America goes like this. I pledge allegiance to liberty and justice for all, period. That is the new pledge of allegiance, in my Love opinion. Uh, we need to get rid of some of the uh, stuff where it's like, I don't pledge to any flag. I, I, I certainly give deep reverence and honor to the United States of America and, I, and our troubled history on which we stand. Uh, and so lots being brought to light yes. as it should. We did not do reparations correctly the first time. It continues to haunt us because it must. And so the living temple, this living temple, which is one of, I imagine, many living temples. I, that's why I reached out to you when I saw Women's Sanctuary. I was like, oh, you, ha- you know, we're using different words, but we're meaning the same thing, which is, yes, Very much ce- a place to celebrate creation a place to celebrate the living temple of our own bodies, which is really where it begins and the living temple of our earth, which support our bodies and how can we all be connected together in that way. And so, you know, that was really, I stepped down from enough pie to step into holding the space. And I also heard very loud and clear from so many of the readings and the podcasts that I was listening to that people of color are tired. They're exhausted from constantly having to say, this is a problem. This is a problem. And the reality is this is a problem created by white people and it needs to be addressed by white people. We need to step up and take hard, difficult, challenging decisions and actions that might be uncomfortable, but it is incumbent upon us And so one of the goals of a living temple is to be a space for women of color to be, to come and be nourished and to be filled and Mm. to lay on the hammock and read Audre Lorde's uses of the erotic, which is one of the most powerful um, essays ever written about the divine feminine. If you haven't read it, or if anyone that's listening hasn't read it, I can't encourage it enough. Audrey Lord is a muse and a genius. And, and, and that, that essay in particular really brings the divine feminine. So the living temple is really about, um, creating a place of nourishment with intentionality. Um, and so we've, we've been doing that and it's, it's very new. It's just in its infancy. So I don't know what will happen and how it will unfold. It's a mystery, but, um, as long as we stay connected to source, stay connected to the reason that we're mm-hmm. here, which is to share the love and to, and to, and to really get creative about how to share resources and how to redistribute mm-hmm. resources. Um, that may be uncomfortable for us, but we have been in a place of privilege for too long. And it, it's, it, if it's, you know, we sing in the, in the poor people's campaign, we sing the song, somebody's been hurting my sister and it's gone on far too long. Whoa, it's gone on far too long. 
Whoa, it's gone on far too long. And we won't be silent anymore. And really, that's what it's about. It's about figuring out where your place is, where my place is, and what our great gift is to the world, and then doing that. And um, and that's what a living temple is about. So my gift to the world is about sharing the power of movement, uh, because I've been um, all my life I was overweight and, and, um, and, and was always told I was too big to dance. And so I, I stopped that part of me. But when I turned to like 34 or something, I saw a dance class happening in the gym that I was on the treadmill miserable. And I was like, I'm going to go in there. They are smiling and they look like they're having such a good time. And I went in and it turns out I was in a Nia class and, um, I had never done Nia before. But Nia is all about the joy of movement. And so I started to dance and it was like a huge light bulb went off for me. And I danced for about a year and then I went into training and I got my white belt. And then a year later, I got my blue belt. And then a year later, I got my brown belt. And uh, I hope next year to get my black belt. And um, so I've gone through a wow. lot of the Nia training and really I found that for me, and I can't speak for anybody else, but for me personally, being awake in my body and being in pleasure and in joy in my body, putting on music that I love and just dancing freely, dancing to, you know, ecstatic dance and the wave. Gabrielle Roth's work um, of the five rhythms has been very impactful. And I got to dance with her when I was in New York before she crossed over. And, um, you know, she, there are just so many incredible women who are, who are leading that, that resurgence. And, you know, in Africa, women are dancing and men are dancing and they're singing and there's, and in any tribal place, there is a huge amount of singing and dancing and storytelling and bread breaking, breaking bread together. And it's just like, those are, those are primal. Those are primal parts of being a human being. And if we don't get back to it, we are really, I don't think there's a place for humanity. Yeah, I said I, I was just thinking those are keys. Those are keys to reclaiming who we are. They are the key. Uh, they, and to me, for me, that those those traditions are a huge part of why we as a society are unhappy and why we are unfulfilled. Mm-hmm. And when we when we, when we activate those, whatever it is for you, it's different. For some people, it's running on the beach. For other people, it's swimming. It's something different for everybody. Yeah. For me, it's dancing. Yeah. Um, and so it's really figuring out what it is that brings you that great joy that awakens you that after you do it, you're like, yeah, I want to go out in the garden and weed now. I want to chop vegetables and make a delicious meal, like whatever that thing is that gets you to enjoy the, the, what can be considered drudgery of, 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 of daily life, but is actually where pleasure really is. Um, it's a huge part. And so that's a big part of a living temple, but our temple also, you know, we practice grand rising prayers. We practice evening prayers um, you know, we don't have a hard set time. We're not like, okay, every morning at 8 a.m. on the dot, but it's it's a little more fluid because we're a small community now. Uh, but we do have found that having that discipline 
of morning and evening meditation consciousness is incredibly important to dialing deeper into the mystery. And a lot more has been revealed to me um, through in the sacred realm with this more, um, more uh, disciplined practice. That sounds like a dream come true to me. Yes, sign well, me up. I'll be there. Come on up. Um, I, yeah, and, and for those who don't know, I have a history in Charleston. I um, I was there as a kid and a young adult and went to College of Charleston. Mm. So it feels like well, we to also me. have here a we do have a, a a guest bedroom that is really serving as a space for if people want to come and and have a few days in a living temple mm. and and take part of this practice and. And envision and imagine kind of just a little bit of a, a t- turn off, a, you know, turning off from the, the daily system and turning on to this, plugging into this way. Um, we, we want to cultivate that. At Metcan Abbey, they have a retreat center with has 16 rooms. And I hope that one day we'll have such a space where we can really hold space for people to come for retreat to really get that practice established in their own lives. And, and, and many people do have that practice mm-hmm. and appreciate that um, now, but finding that and getting yourself into a place where you can really get comfortable with it and find the pleasure in discipline, which is really difficult for me. Mm-hmm. Cause I'm just like, you know, my clown side is like, ah, no, I don't want to have a, any sort of <laughs> rules or, but um, I'm finding for, for my physical body that is, that it's, that that discipline is, is actually extremely helpful. Yeah. My teacher called discipline, loving self-regard. And when you put it that way, why wouldn't you? Loving self-regard. Yes, indeed. Mm. And that does it today for part one of the interview with Catherine the Grateful. Stay tuned for part two, where we talk about the divine feminine, the gospel of Mary, the 42 ideals of Mott, the living temple, reclaiming the goddess archetypes, the current great awakening we are in, and a number of other topics. I know you will want to hear all of it. Um, So we will see you next time here on the Women's Sanctuary. If you're inspired by the teachings of Dr. Wayne Dyer, you will love the Change Your Thoughts, Change Your Life podcast with Nadia Dela Cruz. You are a spiritual being having a human experience. My name is Nadia Dela Cruz, and I started the Change Your Thoughts, Change Your Life podcast to explore spiritual topics like manifestation and meditation with guests who share their own stories of insight, awakening, and transformation. Listen now on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network or wherever you get your podcasts.